0: Get more of the Backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast. You can only get here. Support on the Backstory bonus level. Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. This is Kobe Cole. And this episode, as we celebrate Black Music Month, is about one of the architects of R&B. Some call him a musical genius. Some call him a pioneer. Him and his partner put together almost 170 gold and platinum albums 25 plus number one records their music is a part of all of our lives whether you're eight to 80 from the legendary producing crew gamble and huff mr kenny gamble
1: yo how you doing sir man i'm doing good and um i'm very thankful uh, to be here um i remember the last time me and you did a uh, interview. Well, we've done a couple of interviews, yeah. but but the one that sticks out in my mind is the one that we did years ago with um, Kanye West. We surprised him. He was shocked. Yeah, he was shocked. Yeah, yeah. He was shocked. So and, we, and look at his career, how it's boy. I mean, he's, yeah. he's become an
0: international giant. A young Kanye West, at the time, had the number one record in America, which you don't know my name, from um, uh, Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys. He had produced that song. Oh. Then he... Was releasing his debut album. Had came out a couple of days after that that moment that we were all together. And he never met you before, but he used some of your samples. Oh yeah, he sampled a lot of our stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, me and uh, Kanye we were, you know, I was interviewing him. He was performing. And then I said, man, you know what? You know, you, you the current producer of the moment, but I got to take you back to one of the classics, one of the legends. Mm-hmm. And then Kenny comes in and you guys sit down and he was like a kid in a candy store. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. So a little yeah. bit later on in the podcast, it we did. will share that moment so you can hear the day Kenny Gamble met, uh, Kanye West. If you talk about or if you think about black music, R&B music in America, really the 60s was an explosive period for R&B music, and really the mecca of R&B at the time was in Detroit. Tell us a little bit about you watching Motown and how that kind of inspired the sound of Philadelphia and bringing that kind of energy to Philly.
1: Well, you know, it even goes beyond Motown. During those days, I think the radio, radio Exposure of of uh, the Chicago music, the Dells, the uh, um, Gene Chandler, Major Lance, Jerry Butler. That was a little bit before Motown, mm-hmm. but Motown was the greatest music, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that ever was. The greatest company because of the way they were structured. They were structured where the songs. Were the number one thing, the songwriters like Holland Dozier Holland, Norman Whitfield, uh, Mickey Stevenson. It was a
0: hit factory, the machine, number
1: yeah. songs. Yeah. Although they had great singers too, right. but the thing that lasts with Motown is these songs. The songs, even today, these songs are being recorded over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that was my impression of Motown. I had access because of Georgie Woods and Jimmy Bishop and all of them, you know, I'd go to the store for them mm-hmm. whatever they needed to be done. And um, and I would be there and I, I would watch uh, Smokey Robinson. I would watch the uh, Miracles. I would watch the uh, Temptations and all these people. So you were taking notes. I, w- I wanted to be like Motown. Right. I wanted to, so, right. and then, you know, as you go further along, you know, and we could talk about how me and Huff got together. Right. And we wanted to write songs. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. But then we had a band also. I had a band, you know, because we were working on the weekends. Now, what was the name of your band? It was called Kenny Gamble and the Romeos. Okay. We had a couple records out. Mm -hmm. We didn't do too good, but, you know, but we were able to get uh, some music out.
0: And you worked at a record store too, right, during this time?
1: I had my own record shop.
0: Okay. Now, how old were you when you had your record shop?
1: My record shop, I was about, maybe about 24, 23, 24, Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. I always say my record shop was my greatest experience because it showed me consumer habits. Mm-hmm. Who was buying the records, number one? All right, that was the first thing when I started producing whatever. I said, I know who's buying records. It's the women yeah. who's buying records. Yeah. I said, So we're gonna get groups like the OJs, Teddy Pendergrass, because that's what the women want. Most of the time, if a man was coming in my record shop, he was buying a record for a woman, wow. not for himself, but yeah. for a woman. And so, so you, you find out, and it's different today because I think that the, the new music, it caters to both male and female, you know, but during those days, you
0: know, but the woman's still driving today though. And to your point, the women, if, if women are passionate about a song, mm-hmm. it's going to take off way faster than a guy.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And, um, It helped out a lot being able to be around the radio station because I knew what it took to break a record, number one. And at certain times of the day, that if you can get your record played during those certain times of the day, you stand a better chance of capturing a bigger audience. Like in the morning, the morning drive time is great, Mm -hmm. you know. And afternoon drive time is great. And then late at night, all depending on what kind of record it is, like around 10... Ten thirty, eleven o'clock, but that that shift.
0: You so know? you were making records, thinking about the time of day that they were working.
1: I was think I was thinking about how to promote them, right? You know, right? And um, and what audience you're looking for? You know, when we we're doing albums, because he doing that time, doing uh, the late sixties and seventies when we were rolling, we were selling albums. Yeah, and um, Motown doing their doing their run was selling pretty much singles. Yes. And the difference between Motown and Philly International was we had albums, and we with a lot of death to them too. So we had concepts. Yeah, the albums were concepts. Like Ship Ahoy pops into my mind now. Mm-hmm. That album there was about the um, the slave trade and how we as a people came across that uh, on those slave ships, you know. And we always say now, said so we came over from slave ships. To leadership. Now we're in a position of leadership. I like
0: that, from leadership to leadership. Yeah, that's part of our
1: culture. Write that down,
0: y'all. Y'all need to write that down. Yeah. So, so Kenny yeah. Gamble, yeah. you was an artist, and so I I, I was doing my research, and I, I have known you my whole life, and I did not <laughs> know that you performed, and I went to look up these songs. So, you don't know what you got until you lose it. Oh, that was a good one. That was a, you were so <laughs> soulful, man. Your voice, like, I just, I didn't know that about you.
1: Yeah, well, at that time... I was about, I don't know, I guess I must have been about 19, mm-hmm. 18, 19 years old. we you're trying to find yourself, you know, right. trying to find where do I fit at? You know I mean? I like to sing. I like, I want to be in music. That's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was really great when, um, when I could sing, you know, but that wasn't what I really liked. I didn't like, I didn't like performing that much,
0: you okay. know, on stage. But the songs were great.
1: So I was writing songs then too, and, and a friend of mine, You know, God bless him. He's not here no more. His name was Herb Johnson. Okay. Herb Johnson was a singer also, and he played guitar. He taught me how to play. He didn't know that many chords. He only knew about five chords. Mm -hmm. He taught me them five chords. But those five chords that I learned, you could play and write any song. And uh, even today, you know, when I met Huff, I was playing guitar. But it was better when Huff and I wrote together because— I'm basically a lyricist. Mm-hmm. And Huff took that pressure up off of me from the playing the guitar. He
0: played the piano and he's a master piano player. So, so homework for everybody. You guys need to go to YouTube and listen to You Don't Know What You Got Until You Lose It from Kenny Gamble. But also, Jokes on You. Jokes on that You. That was a good song. Hey, and my daughter loves that. And hey. Standing in the Shadows.
1: Standing in the Shadows. Other people saw something in it too, you know yep. what I mean? But it just didn't click. Right. I think the guy who, um, who supported me the most uh, with my records here in Philly was, of course, Georgie Woods did, you know, mm-hmm. but he used to tell me, he I don't like that record. You know what I mean? He, he was truthful dude, right. on his part.
0: You basically had a short time as an artist. So tell me how a guy from South Philly and a guy from Camden, New Jersey, Mr. Leon Huff, how mm-hmm. do you guys come together and form Gambling Huff?
1: Well, well, first of all, how we met was, um, uh, I was working with uh, um, a guy named Jerry Ross, and the, it's called the Miriam Theater now, mm-hmm. but it was called the Schubert Building.
0: Yeah, the Schubert Theater. Yeah,
1: Schubert. Back in those days, and um, and so I used to ask everybody. I said, "Man, where, where's all the music people at in Philly?" So they, they directed me to the Schubert Building, mm-hmm. and I went down there, and uh, Jerry Ross had a a production company. He produced uh, The Dream Lovers, you know, When We Get Married and all those songs like that. And so Tom Bell and myself, we were trying to get recorded. So we went down to the Shoe Building. And so I used to be there every day. I used to go down there every day. Even when I started working at Jefferson, I used to go there after work and whatever. So one day I go by there and I'm getting up on the elevator and Leon Huff is on the elevator. Never seen him in that building before. wasn't that many African Americans in the building right. in the first place. Right. So we were talking about, you know, what we're trying to do. You know, he said, "I'm trying to write songs," but dude, I said, "I'm trying to do the same
0: thing." You know. So. Um, so it was a,
1: w- w- one thing led to another, and yeah. we said, "Well, let's get together," you know, and so see what, what an
0: energy force to come together like that.
1: Unbelievable, you know. But that's how it happened.
0: Right. That's how it happened. So, so you guys, you did a lot of stuff together, but you yeah. guys did stuff on your own. So I'll, you have to correct me if, I, if right. I'm not sure, but I do know. And I want you to tell me about this. So one of the early records that you wrote, mm-hmm. I'm going to make you love me. Oh yeah. With Didi yeah. And that ends up two years later getting redone by the temptations and the Supremes when you got that call. And no. then that record became a worldwide, worldwide. number one, all over the world. So I,
1: I had to pull over. I was driving my car when I heard that on man, I had to
0: pull over, man. So what was that like mm-hmm. thinking about the 10 years prior to that moment? So that was like 68 when it happened mm-hmm. 10 years prior to that. You are, you know, at the radio station, you're going to the uptown theater, you know, you got your record store and you write a song and the temptations and the Supremes take your song to, was that like the first big global moment that you had as a a songwriter?
1: It was one of them, but everything happened at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You had, this is sixty eight. Now remember I just got out of school in nineteen sixty one.
0: Right. So uh, seven, years high-
1: seven years out of high school. Seven years out of high school. I'm trying to make it, trying to get stuff going. So the thing of it is, is that we had Cowboys and Girls, mm-hmm. number one record. Number one all over the world. And then we had the Soul Survivors, the Expressway to I Your was, Heart. I was
0: that's what I see, you you are on look at but, you but on my chart here, brother. But you got my memory clicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing Expressway of, was before that.
1: Sprashway was first. These brothers, Richie and Charlie, they're great. Mm-hmm. I love them. And uh, Richie's not here anymore. God bless him. These guys were, Jerry Blavitt was managing them. The Gita. The Gita with the Gita. What? And so Jerry Blavitt came to me one day because I'd known Jerry Blavitt right. when I was in high school. That's
0: another iconic
1: Philadelphia Yeah, unbelievable. Legend.
0: Unbelievable uh, Had a person. TV show for it before anybody had a TV unbelievable show. Unbelievable
1: yeah, yeah, Jerry Blavitt. Wonderful friend. And he said, Kenny, why don't you write a song for the soul survivors? I
0: said, right. All right, I would. That dun 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 Listen, do yeah. your homework yeah. and check this song out, Expressway to my heart. I mean, these are uh, these are uh some white guys, you got together and you gave them some soul. They are the oh, soul yeah, survivors. Yeah, they
1: are they're great, I'm telling you.
0: And, and I I want to touch on this, Kenny, because we're gonna get into it because I'm 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 going through, you know, your songs. Mm-hmm. But you seem to in your career. Tell me about the first thirty to sixty seconds of your songs, because it feels so cinematic. So yeah. it's like you, it's like you load me into this thing, and then I'm like captivated. And you, bam, you hit me with the song. Yeah, yeah you so know, tell, tell me about that. You know,
1: me and huff when we were in the studio and Tommy Bell too. The intro was important because I knew. See, after working around a radio station, mm-hmm. I knew that the intro, whoever the programmer was. If that intro is kicking, right? Because he only gonna give you maybe thirty seconds at most. Right. We used to say well, you gotta get a great
0: intro. Nineteen sixty eight, Cowboys the Girls, right. huge song. Um, and you say you're a ly- lyricist, and you know, growing up and knowing this song, and just it's timeless. So that's another thing that we'll get into with you mm-hmm. is timeless music, right? Yeah, yes sir. Um, so this was a song that tells a story of like. Going from kids to adulthood and teenager, yeah, yeah. teenager and, and this cowboys connection. and girls, yeah.
1: baby dolls, the boys. Yeah, that's that was the lyric, the content.
0: So the lyric that stands out. I, I remember when I used to play "Shoot 'em Up," "Shoot 'em Up," "Bang Bang, bang, bang baby <laughs> did you write that? Yeah. Hey, listen. Wow. Me,
1: uh, That that
0: song. There, go ahead, finish. I remember when I chased the girls and beat them up. Beat them up.
1: That's because you little. Right. see, he said I was young. I didn't understand. Right. He said now, she's a woman and I'm a man. Um. Now I know girls are made for kissing. Mm-hmm. Instead of running after pulling their hair, right. with all that crazy stuff, and it's really
0: like a, a switch when you're a teenage boy. Sure, so it, it, it's like a from a, going from a boy to a teenager. That that's switch right. happens, and all yeah. of a sudden, this girl that's like a tomboy, boy, you like, you're like, oh my yeah. god, you're yeah. beautiful, yeah.
1: And he said, he said, uh, now I know girls are made for kissing. I never knew what I was missing. Yeah, he said Now my life is not the same. My whole world has been rearranged. I went from cowboys to girls. Yeah, so I'm trying to paint a picture, trying to paint a picture of a young boy and a young girl growing up and they become sweethearts at the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. they used to be fighting each other when they're young and so forth, whatever. You know? And that so, was
0: the story in yeah. that time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the story of how people got connected. That that's the it. way it is today. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, you look at it. So 68, you have that number one song. Yeah. Then another thing I noticed with you, there was a theme with you. Now that you you said it earlier. You listen to certain artists, mm-hmm. and then you're the one to give them a whole new life. So the first one I, I could think of is Jerry Butler. Um, wow!
1: Never gonna give you up. Wasn't that a great one? That's a good one, man. Never gonna give you. I mean, this the beautiful the, man. music. But you know the other thing too. When you say the music, you're mm-hmm. right because see, all through this this era, my companions were Rolling Chambers, Carl Chambers. Rolling Chambers was a guitar player. Okay. Carl Chambers, was a drummer, mm-hmm. um, Leon Huff, who was keyboard player, Tom Bell, who was a ranger and played organ, and Vince Montana, who played the vibes. Now, you notice on many of our right. records, you got vibes yeah, on there. Yeah. And uh, who else was it? Um, or oh, Winnie, Winnie Wilford, mm-hmm. who played the bass. And then when he left, and we got uh, Ronnie Baker and Earl Young, it's the musicians. We kept this this group of people together as long as we could, because that was the sound of Philadelphia. Yeah, that was our sound. We we we, we drilled it into our head. It's the Motown sound. You got the the Memphis sound. So we're gonna be the Philly sound. The sound
0: of Philadelphia. T S O P. T S O P. So so sixty eight. Yeah. Then you come with Western Union man. You give Jerry a number one record. At that point, he had been out for like... Well, for a while. Yeah, yeah. You I know? mean, this was like a new birth of his career.
1: It was, but but here's, here's the secret to that. Mm-hmm. Jerry Butler was a great writer, too. Okay. Jerry Butler wrote uh, um, for Otis Redden. What was the name of that song? Uh, I've Been Loving You Too Long. Okay. Jerry Butler also wrote songs for... Um, for him and Curtis Mayfield for the impression, wow. precious love and all wow. that kind of stuff. So, I when didn't know he, that. so when he got with us, I said, "Let's write together." Okay. So me, him, and Huff wrote a lot of those. So like, never going to give you up.
0: Wow. Never gonna said, give you up. That was a great this one, the, man. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, Western Union Man was a good one too, though. It was great, yeah. and and I tell you, and another, number one records.
1: And the, and the 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 other one that was really good was uh, Only the Strong Survive. Yeah. Elvis Presley did only the throne survive, yeah. which was great for us. You right. know what I mean? And uh, so so Jerry Butler, as a matter of fact, I just talked to him
0: not long ago, about two weeks ago. Because he was like an alderman or something in Chicago, right? He's an alderman, yeah. Is he still an alderman?
1: Yeah, he's still, but he's, he's not feeling well. You know right. what I mean? He's getting older. Right. But me and him had a lot of fun. We was yeah. we was on the phone a couple of weeks ago. We was dying laughing, man, because Jerry Butler, I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. As a writer, mm-hmm. this guy here, man, let me tell you something. He showed me how, how to, like, put words together, just flowing, flowing. I said, wow, Jerry, I said, that's great. And so then I would do it. And the know?
0: theme that I'm learning from you now, Kenny, more than ever, because it's not necessarily how a lot of people are in yes. music, mm-hmm. you're you're a really good collaborator. Like, a lot of people um, yeah. are so focused on their own ideas and concepts and not willing to let some other creative energy in. Oh, yeah. But you are. You're open to that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you know what? You can do more. Mm-hmm. Volume that counts, you know what I mean. And so I was all, I'm, and still same way even today. I'm always looking for for uh, new ideas and people that have initiative and want to do it because then you can do more, you know. And so and and try to be a good example myself of how when you open the door to something, you're not only open it for yourself, but you open for anybody that's got the talent that that's can true. get through. That's you true. see, and that's yeah. where we were at Philly International because. We had McFadden, Whitehead, there. Mm-hmm. You know, they were there. We had Bunny Sigler, God bless him, and um, all all these artists and producers and arrangers and engineers, mm-hmm. people that was working that that board. Because you got to know the difference between highs, mid-range, low. You know, to get that sound that you want. So.
0: So we did, we did good, man. But so go ahead. Let's go, ahead. go to 69. So in 69, you get with Archie Bell and the Drells. They had tightened up the year before, but you, um, come up with I Can't Stop Dancing. Wow, good one. That was a good song. Right? Great
1: one. Well, that's like a show tune. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and Archie Bell, what happened with him was, uh, we were working with, uh, um, Atlantic Records. hmm. And we were trying to get a deal with Atlantic Records. And Atlantic was, uh, was really, uh, a big company. They had stacks at
0: Mm
1: -hmm. the time. Mm And, um, I'm at They Yeah. He's a great man. And, uh, Jerry Wexler. Mm -hmm. And they had, um, they had the Memphis sound there. But so, so we tried our best to get into Atlantic. And so we did a couple deals with them. And the deal we did with them was, is that we were, we're going to produce Archie Bell, uh, Dusty Springfield, Wilson Pickett. Wow. And, um, Sweet Inspirations. Wow. Okay, so Wilson Pickett, we got a big hit with Wilson Pickett called Don't Let the Green Grass Fool You. Okay. And then uh, Dusty Springfield, we got a big record with her because we did a song with Jerry Butler called A Brand New Me. Okay. That was like a B-side with Jerry. And I kept telling the people up at the Mercury, I said, I said, this uh, brand new me is happening. they planted it here in Philly. I said, it's breaking. And they said, yeah, but we're going to stick with um, – Yeah. One of them other songs. I've and made.
0: actually a lot of radio personalities around the country. The B-side would be the one B-side. that would, gra- they would grab them B-sides yeah. and take them to another level.
1: And so then we took that B-side recorded it with Dusty Springfield.
0: Wow. And
1: uh, it became an international hit. Yes. And uh, and I really enjoyed working with Dusty. Dusty had a, a unique, whispery kind of voice. You know, different, you know.
0: So let's so. go to 1970. You come with Engine Number no. 9. Mm. Um, That track. Wilson Pictures. Wilson Pictures. That yeah. fun, that track was funky. And actually a couple rappers sampled that that track. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I that's mean, good. Yeah. And then um so, you know, you're seeing what's happening in Detroit with Motown and you've strung along a lot of these hits. And so we get to 1971. Let's talk about the beginnings of the sound of Philadelphia, your own label. Like, right. and so you said you went to Atlantic um, yeah. early, but yeah. then you kind of connect with Clive Davis and talk a little bit about the sound of Philadelphia, this label. And yeah, and even the before
1: game. Clive Davis, we was with uh, um, Chess records, right? Leonard Chess mm-hmm. and his brother Phil. And we had a label called uh, Neptune, mm-hmm. and we worked. And we had the OJ's, we had the Three Degrees, mm-hmm. and Billy Paul.
0: Mm-hmm. And early, very early, early. This yeah. was yeah. early. Yeah. This Before is like a,
1: this is like in the sixties. Right. You know, the OJ's had already had a hit, mm-hmm. but I used to see the OJ's at the um, Uptown. I said, "These guys are great."
0: And you gave them a, a rebirth in the seventies, though. I mean, you, oh, we're going to get to that because yeah. I got the list. But yeah, you changed the, you yeah. changed their career as well.
1: But I, I really like the OJs because of, um, uh, I love Walt. Walter is great, but but Eddie Laverde he had a sound. And mm-hmm. so most of the artists that we work with, they had their own sound mm-hmm. that you could you could identify them. As soon as you turn the radio on, you say, oh, that's so-and-so. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Jerry Butler. This is uh, uh, Phyllis Hyman or whatever the case might so be. So let's
0: get to 71, another funky joint. <clears throat> um and it's the kind of song that you make that funky face, drowning in the sea of love from Joe Simon. Wow, what a good one! What a great artist! And I, I, I knew this record early because I'm a big fan of Gang Starr and DJ Premier, and mm-hmm. one of their their records that I like. They, you know, my Steez, they sampled this song. Is that right? Oh my God! And DJ Premier just. He, he pulled out love I'm into your, here. into your work. But this song, when we listen to the raw song again, Drowning in the Sea of Love, what a great track. What about that intro? Yeah. Yeah. A, a movie. A okay. movie. It's like yeah. a movie, man. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling
1: you. See, Drowning in the Sea of Love is, is like, it's, you can almost see that visually, you know. And Joe Simon, it's a, got a great voice. And he was signed to Spring Records. Mm-hmm. Spring Records was owned by, um, Julie Rifkin and Roy Rifkin, mm-hmm. who were good friends of ours, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and uh, they asked us to to cut Joe Simon. Mm-hmm. We were just going to make our deal with uh, Clive Davis at CBS, okay, and we had put out a record with uh, CBS on Philly International label
0: mm-hmm.
1: by the Ebeneys, Uh You're the reason why,
0: okay,
1: which was a great record, beautiful, and the Ebony's was a great artist, but they didn't know we couldn't get along. With uh, uh, with with them on the promotion, so we said, well, we're going to cut something someplace else, and uh, and let us show you how to promote. So we went over there to Roy and Julie, and we cut uh, Drowning and Sea Love. That was like a top five
0: record. And then you you did another one for him called Power Love, which Power is another Love. great song. Yeah, another number one record.
1: And then we had another. Well, it wasn't as big as the Drowning Sea Love. Pool of Bad Luck. Let's talk about
0: Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Uh, I've always I I, I um. I need an explanation on this group because Mm -hmm. all I know about Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes is the drummer was Teddy Pendergrass and he had the most amazing voice and he sang a lead. So tell us about how you got with this group and the the connection you guys had musically. And in 72, you put out a song called I Miss You, which is still a timeless Mm. record. Unbelievable. And the intro. Like, it's like a movie.
1: It is a movie. Yeah. And, uh, well, really, Al Melvin was well. He first of all, he was my friend. Okay. You know what I mean. Uh, his brother Calvin Melvin. We went to school together. We were in the same class. You know what I mean. All through school, junior high school and whatever. And so, um, Al Melvin is a legend, you know what I mean? and he's a genius mm-hmm. because he probably could take two or three of us and whip us into shape, and we become the Blue Notes. That's wow. That's that's the kind of organizer he was, mm-hmm. and so. We always so when we started getting uh, hit records, Howie's, me and Harold used to talk. He said, "Man, I said, what do you think about my group?" I said, "Well, bring him over to Hyatt this weekend." So he bring his group over, and I said, "Howell had a nice voice. He had a nice mellow voice, yeah, you know." Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I told him, "I said, you got, you got to get somebody with some power, you know. What I mean, a voice with power." And uh, to make a long story short, what happened was, is Teddy Pendergrass was was a drummer, right, playing for the group for how's group, and so we were. We signed Harold's group, and um, we went on the search for um, a lead singer. Mm -hmm. And so one day, Huff called me up. He said, man, he said, they got a guy down here with Harold. He said, you got to hear him. I said, okay. He said, because I think this is the lead singer. So uh, I got downtown, and and, uh, they started singing, and, man, Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy.
0: Presence. Unbelievable, man. So another number one record, If You Don't Know Me By Now. If
1: You Don't Know Me By Now. It's a great one. What about I Miss You? Yeah. And what about The Love I Lost? The Love I
0: Now, another wow. one, the intro.
1: Love I Lost. I'm trying I to mean, tell you.
0: It's just the intro. Oh, that, that is just, you guys got to do your homework and listen to just the yeah. first 30 to 60 seconds of these songs, <laughs> and you'll see what I'm talking about. But The Love I it's Lost.
1: True. Yeah, it was something, man. <sighs> Unbelievable, and you know what? Uh, what I'm really proud of is how hard everybody worked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And uh, and we made we made a way for ourselves in the business because it wouldn't it wasn't easy. This was hard work because you know we wanted it to be perfect. <clears throat> so we would go all day. Sometimes maybe the next day we'd do it again. Mm-hmm. You know. Because we didn't want no bad notes, no flat notes, uh, no, nothing. We didn't want anything beyond our power to, to make these. We wanted them records to be perfect. And when you listen to them, there's a couple of, them, I wouldn't tell you which ones that some, some stuff got away. Okay. You know what I mean? But some bad notes got away. Right. But I always used to say, I said, if you, if you got a bad note or, or flat note or something on, on, uh, on these records, And if it's a hit, you're going to hear it for the rest
0: of your life, you know. Again, timeless. So, not to get sidetracked, because I was still in '72. Go ahead, go ahead. Me and Mrs. Jones, Billy Paul, number one record.
1: This was a story where um, me and Huff used to go. We was at the Schubert Building. We had our offices there, and we used to go downstairs just about every day. Just was a little bar down there Mm -hmm. called Boots Boots Bar. And we go down in boots and sit there and just talk and laugh you know and come up with ideas and so we' seen a guy in there one day kind of elderly guy and so I said I said oh, what's that guy doing over there you know what I mean right and so um, he said I don't know man he said I think I know him he looked like a judge or something of like that right and then not long after he come in this young girl will come in mm-hmm and go over there and sit right beside him. And so we say, Hey, look at that. So then two days later, you go in there and they do the same thing. Now, what, here's what she would do. She'd come and sit beside him, go to the jukebox, play these songs or whatever, mm-hmm. come back and sit with him. They sit there for maybe an hour or so. And then, uh, and then she would go her way, and he would go his. So we basically took that. That's the song. That's the whole song right That's there. the song right wow. there. Right. But so. you don't know that could have been his daughter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we,
0: but we made it. But like, you got a concept out of we it. We made man. it like it yeah. was, you know, something spooky going yeah. on, you know. But but it, you never know. So um, Love I Lost was number one. It was just brilliant. That, no, no, never. Like, he was, that that was just so passionate. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that was a song for anybody that was going through a broken heart. Like, Oh, like, yeah. that's how you would feel as that's, a man. Like, if I could yeah. sing, that would be the song that I would sing. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I did not know this, Kenny, and I thought I was I was a Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Like, I thought I knew this. Mm-hmm. You recorded a song for the OJs that was an album cut. Mm-hmm. But then uh, a Jamaican band oh, yeah. gets behind this song. Third World and it's called Now That We Found Love. I did not know you wrote that song.
1: Ain't that something And then Heavy D redo redoes it did it it. again later
0: in later years. So yeah. what was that like to see uh Third World take a song like that and they boy they killed it. They boy. just did their own little spin on it.
1: Yeah, we did it with the OJs and it was kinda like, you know, it was a little light, mm-hmm. you know, thing. But man, when I heard Third World's version, like the guy who produced that them, his name was Chris Blackwell,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they were with Island Records. Man, it's that groove they put yeah, to it, yeah.
0: You know, and, and it's, I, time, it's a timeless song, oh, worldwide gonna, phenomenon. Well,
1: because the thing of it is, it's a great song. Yeah. You know, now that we found love, what are we gonna do with it? Right, I mean, now right. You know, I mean, what are you gonna do now that you found what you've been looking for all yeah. of these times? And the lyrics to the song. Kind of explains everything. You know, let's give love a chance, you know, mm-hmm. let it become our, our destiny or whatever. And, um, you know, you owe it to yourself to live happy eternally. Yeah. You know, love is what we've been looking for. Love is what we've been searching for. So now that we got it right here in our hands, we got to spread it all over the land. Oh,
0: such a great tune. record. Yeah. yeah.
1: It kind of sounds like a love song. Right. But it's a message song. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause and it resonated.
0: Yeah, of it, all races, colors, and creeds, everywhere. I've
1: seen, I've seen third world perform this song in mm-hmm. different places, and man, listen, they turned the joint out. Yeah, man. yeah. You know, people, people understand what that song yeah. meant.
0: Sang yeah. it with a lot of passion. So yeah. we still in 1973. Go ahead. Um, I want to know your name by the Intruders. Good
1: one. Oh, oh. That, that's the one I was telling you the about. The first 19 piece. seconds.
0: The first 19
1: seconds of yeah. that song. Yeah, it's the intro. Again. Yeah. You remember I was talking yeah, yeah, about Lisa, about Lisa Keys, Keys. Yeah, you don't know. know my name.
0: Yeah, you don't know my name. And then we got, you know, I want to know your name. And, uh, and then you wrote that same year, Break Up to Makeup by the Stylistics.
1: Break Up to Makeup. <laughs> Ain't that something? Linda Creed and Tommy Bell. Tommy Bell. Now, you know how long back with right. me and Tommy Bell. Right, and right, we go all the right. way back to high school. Right. And me and his sister, Barbara, I used to walk home and Tommy mm-hmm. be in the house playing the piano. I said, say, who's playing the piano, Barbara? See, my brother. So we like seventeen years old. I said, "Man, what are you doing? What are you doing playing the play? I said, "Can you write songs?" So we did it. You know.
0: All right. So let's get out of seventy three, Kenny, because y'all are you on fire right now, man. Let's get uh, to seventy four. Well, you, right. <laughs> you got my brain going, man. See, make um, it remember. In nineteen seventy four, you give your band a moment, and they deliver wow. a number one song, instrumental and pop, pop and R and B, and then Soul Train takes it and makes it the theme that had actually one of the biggest that was really um yeah. like what you say uh it's like a it was like an ode to your vibe to your it soul to sound. your city the sound yeah. of Philadelphia sound of Philadelphia yeah and then this song is phenomenal I mean timeless when well, there's something <laughs> yeah. I mean uh, that's but just... you know
1: hey Kobe so here's what happened with that okay Don Cornelius, Mm-hmm was a real good friend of ours and helped and helped us because he had that TV show. That was the biggest TV show uh that ever was with right. African Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, every Saturday or whatever day that Soul Train came on, the whole world was
0: watching. And that. it made a bro- it made or broke careers. Yeah. I mean, we mm-hmm.
1: had and he used to call me and say, "Who you want me to put on this week?" You right. know what I mean? I said, "Put the OJ's on. Right. We got a new one." Right. And, and he was he was part of our family. But the thing that happened was, is that. um is that I used to to watch it every week. I I told him one day we was talking. We used to talk every week. I said, Mm -hmm. man, you need a new theme song, man. Right. I said, that theme song is not right. He said, well, let's do one. I said, well, come on in. You come on in. So he came in one weekend, and we brought the band in, everybody in, and we went in the studio, and we we tried to get something, but we couldn't get nothing that that day. Right. And so he said, I'm going back to California. I said, well, wait one more day. Wait one more day. So we brought everybody back the next day. Mm hmm but me and huff we went over to the office and we sat down at the piano and we came up with that so train so train mm-hmm. da, 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 da da once we come up with that mm-hmm. that was it and, and we had it we we had we had the, the basic melody for the song
0: so this is 74 and i and i truly believe this and you may say no no i i can't you almost kind of dictated disco in a sense like you were making these songs that yeah. were kind of like the what well, this, disco was becoming it was
1: becoming that yeah. yeah disco as a matter of fact all of our we were kind of like the first to put out those uh extended discs 33 right. and a third right and um because I remember uh, CBS fought us on that. They said, "Oh, that's not a market for it." I said, "Believe right. me, there's a market for them." When we right. started putting them out, right, it was like um, they they were a product within themselves because of the clubs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you could play. You could like the, uh, the Love I Lost, for example, right. It must have been twelve twelve minutes long. Yeah. The long version of it. we had we had short versions and long versions. And you
0: left gaps of just music in
1: the song. Just music.
0: Yeah. Or sometimes we would just take out the music and just be right. the voices. Right, right. You know, so Yeah. So so then um the seventies was like for black America was a gritty time. We were going through a recession. We had, the president was uh, getting impeached and it was just not a great time. And you come with this song for the love of money, which is sort of like from the OJs, Mm. which is the grittiness of America and black America in the seventies. Just a bit, again, the movie, the beginning of the song and how you just lull us into this song. And then let me just go, um, uh, the first 20 seconds cinematic, you got to, yeah. You got to listen to it differently when I tell you this. You all know the song, but when you Go listen ahead. to it and just listen to the beginning, cinematic. So for the love of money, people will steal from their mother. Mm. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. Yeah. For the love of money, people can't even walk the street because they never know who in the world they're going to meet. For Go that ahead. lean, mean, mean, green, man. almighty dollar. Where all did this song come dollar. from? What What triggered this?
1: Well, this was um, on the uh, album, the Ship album. Okay. So we were thinking about us as a people, African-Americans. And we're looking at all of the, all the negatives and positives. And and so spiritually, you know, you look at the, there's a, a quote in in the scriptures about that money, the love of money
0: mm-hmm.
1: is the root of all evil. Yes. So, you know, not money is the root of all, because you need money. It's the love of it. When you love money enough that you would do anything for it, because, like, then there's some lyrics that said, for the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh.
0: And, well, they told the story phenomenally in the song, the way that yeah, they sing it. It's yeah, a story. It's, it's,
1: a, it's a story. And then there's one line in the, the Almighty Dollar, the mean green, for small piece of paper
0: it that carries a lot of weight. of weight boy that mean green
1: now so when you say where that's talking when you start writing right see it's not me writing that. right that's it's like uh your body's like an empty vessel and inspiration comes through and you start you keep writing and keep writing and, and sometimes you look back and say dang where did this come from right you know, I was proud of that uh, for the love of
0: money. No, I, I mean, because it meant then, a lot. And then uh, but it still does. The, Trump did The Apprentice, and he brought the song, and that was the wasn't intro The Apprentice. wasn't that something? Yeah, and, and it's just, it's, it's that's his theme song. Yeah, that's it. That, and actually, yeah, when you it think still of, is, you think about the world yeah. that we're currently in. Yeah, that's his theme yeah, song. That's it.
1: In fact, I met him on the, on an elevator one time. Right? Really? Yeah, I was coming out of a um, this hotel, and uh, and he was coming down the steps. He had. Three or four different people, they come all in the elevator right, right, like that. Right. So I said, Mr. Trump, how you doing? He said, okay. And uh, I said, look, I said, my name's Kenny Gamble, you know, and I said, I'm one of the writers of your theme song, For the Love of Money. He said, for real? Yeah. He says, I said, yeah. I said, I said we, me and my partner, we wrote that song. He said, you making any money? I said, a little bit. You know what <laughs> I mean? I said, but if you keep using it. <laughs> I said, we could make some money. He said, I guarantee you I'll keep using it. So
0: so we, we're still in 74, and one of those early groups that you signed the Three Degrees, they come with one of the most beautiful, sad songs ever, When Will mm-hmm. I See You Again. And the intro of that song, man. Yep, see so yeah. the
1: intro's again. Yeah. But When Will I See You Again. Oh. Hey, this is how this song occurred. Mm-hmm. I'm downstairs on Broad Street one day, so I see this young sister that I knew a long time ago. And so we're talking for a few minutes and why well, I ain't seen you in a long time, you mm-hmm. know, you know, you look good and so forth and whatever. So when the whole thing conversation was over, uh, I would say, to her, I said, well, when am I going to see you again? Mm-hmm. And right away, something bing right up in my head. And I go upstairs and me and her get on the piano. Wow. And start writing. But that the song. music
0: was like it was beautiful. It almost feels like a funeral song. Like just the, it, it, the way the way really? the way it feels. It's just so sad. It yeah. feels it's deep. Yeah, because the story is is, is yeah, sad. Yeah. You
1: know, She's saying, are we in love or right. are we just friends? Yeah, yeah. Is this my beginning or is this my end? Oh, that's so heavy. When here. am I going to see you again? Wow. Let's
0: get out of yeah. 74, bro. Cause he's, like, <laughs> you, you're killing me right now. Let's get to 75. Go ahead. Go 75. Ahead. Wow. You, you. One of the things that um, I most admire about you is, yeah. even throughout your success, you always had love for the black community Definitely. and you would make music, conscious music and you make hit conscious music. You would never sell yeah, out for thank the dollar. Thank and So you come that. with, give the people what they want from the OJs. Good one. I mean, and that, that record speaks for itself. I mean, that, that's it. The grittiness of the seventies again. That's right. And then you, um, you come with, uh, uh, MFSB, right? Sexy. You yeah, know, you drop good. that. Yeah. I mean, it's just another cinematic song now
1: that sexy was written by uh Norman Harris who was yeah. a guitar player yep. yeah but Norman Harris was with us he became a producer and mm-hmm. he had his own company mm-hmm. later on uh Baker Harris and young they had the tramps they had all but Norman started
0: out with us you know sexy and and again 75. This in the 70s, you bring the OJs were out in the 60s, but in the 70s is when you really gave them definition and you come with a song that really defines you. I love music and and the lyrics. I love music, any kind of music. I love music just as long as it's grooving Yeah, makes me laugh. Makes me smile all the while whenever, whenever I'm with you, girl. Yeah. While we dance, make romance, I'm enchanted by the things that That you you do. do. Wow. Wow. And that's another one with an intro. And I always remember, um, the movie Carlito's Way because there's a scene where they have that song. Yeah. And then, and that was, that's been a blessing too. Yeah. And that was like a 70s moment. And it was just, it captured the, that time. And again, a cinematic song. And the OJs were rock stars at that time. But that's
1: how Huff and I used to write songs though. Mm-hmm. like a title like that, you know, you'd be, you'd, you'd be sitting around talking, man. And somebody would say, man, I love music, man. Right.
0: say, wow. Any kind of music. Any kind of music.
1: Long yeah. As long as it's swinging, as long yeah. as it's grooving, you know, yeah. and, you know, nothing could be better than a, than a glass of wine. So smooth, mellow, mellow. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's like a, I don't know. It's a blessing. It
0: really is. Been a blessing. So at this time in 75, disco was just like, you write a song, but then it becomes one of the biggest disco songs ever from Thelma Houston. Don't leave me this way. I did not know that. Don't I did not you know, know you it. wrote that record.
1: Okay, here's 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 the song. Huh? Okay, we wrote it for Al Melvin and the Blue Notes.
0: I can see them singing that.
1: They right. sang it. We recorded yeah. it with them. Right. Right. And Thelma Houston on Motown, she covers it, and it becomes
0: almost like the number one disco record. Oh, it was it was a, it was iconic. Still iconic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so. Uh, so we was gonna put it out when right. Thelma Houston had it, but we had such a big record with the with the Blue Notes at right. that time, right? That you couldn't do them both. But and plus it was Motown. It was on Motown, so
0: yeah, that's that was a great one. So you know? uh, um, and okay, so you always have things that you trigger from your childhood, just mm. things, and a lot of times it's music. You'll remember a song from a moment. So you had your, you know, um, Jerry Butler, and you kind of watched him as you were young, and mm. then you do records for him. You take a lounge, almost like a lounge soulful blues singer in Lou Rawls, mm. and you give him one of the most phenomenal records in a time when music was changing the disco. Oh, it was changing. Yeah. yeah. So I always wanted to ask you about this. So there's this song, You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine. Now, this is Lou Rawls. It was a number one record. Mm. And Lou Rawls, again, sings sort of like a lounge singer. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and it's sort of like this smooth, mid-tempo disco beat. Yeah. And the first 40 seconds are amazing
1: just Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You were the intros <laughs> again, right? Yeah. And I just wanted to know how how did you coach him to sing this song? Because it would be like for today, it would be like taking John Legend and making him R. Kelly by the end of the record. Like, did you yeah. bring some young girls in no. when, when you went when it where we were like, You're gonna miss my love and like it no, was just was like good. there was so many layers to the song.
1: Yeah, it was great. Uh well, me and when we wrote that song. It was was almost like a tailor-made song for Lou Rawls. Right. Because he he had such a great baritone voice. Mm -hmm. I I always considered Lou Rawls to be like the Black Frank Sinatra.
0: Yes. That's exactly it. You know, and
1: so, and then I remembered Lou Rawls when we signed, because Jimmy Bishop is the guy who got uh, um, Lou Rawls for us. Okay. And Bishop said, man, Lou Rawls is free from his contract. And, uh. I said, well, maybe we could sign him up. Bishop said, y'all could get him a smash, you could get him a hit. So, but the thing of it was, is that here you go, you got Lou Rawls. I remember Lou Rawls when I had my record shop.
0: Wow, selling Lou Rawls records. I used to have them in stacks. Yeah.
1: So he had an audience out there,
0: but you gave him really the biggest moment of his career. Oh yeah, yeah. Was... Well, we were we were the perfect fit yeah, for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you seem like you were a fan. You're a fan, so
1: well because I could sing almost right. like him, right? You right. Know what yes. I mean? yeah yes, So you I could, could sing almost like him, right? You know, the baritone, and so, so uh, Lou, he, he really he really liked working with us because because we introduced him to a new market. Mm-hmm. This was a new this was a new generation that knew him, right? But didn't have any new music from him for a right. long time, you know. So, so, so let's
0: let's get to '76. Man, I, I tell you, every year, bro, it's like he was cook. just like the warm up of the '70s. So in '76, <laughs> you write the all time holiday anthem, "Family Reunion" from the from the wow, OJ's man. Good one. <laughs> Timeless "Family Reunion." There's not a holiday barbecue block party in Black America over the last forty fifty years that don't play that song. That don't that song doesn't make you feel warm and make you feel like you know family. That's true.
1: You know, family reunion. And that comes from uh, uh, a time when we were working with uh, um, the National Council of Negro Women. Mm-hmm. And um, Barbara Cox, who used to work with us, uh, she used to do the black family reunions. And so... Uh, me and Barbara was talking. Barbara said, Why don't you, you need a theme song, Kenny. We need a theme song for the Black Family Reunion. So, Dorothy Height, I don't know if you remember yeah. Dorothy Height, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when me and Huff got together, well, we went to the first family reunion. Man, it was so many African American people there. Right. It was beautiful, so beautiful, man. And then, um Huff and I, we went and started writing uh, a song to commemorate it, mm-hmm. you know, because, and so, um, you know, the lyrics speak for itself, yeah. you know.
0: It almost kind of makes you tear up when you yeah, just think dope. about when you lost a relative and yeah, you think about but, how, how that you know, song... Yeah, I wish Grandpa was here, yeah, you know, yeah, I know we yeah. would be smiling from ear yeah, yeah, to ear, yeah, you know, yeah. to see what we have done to
1: with all his and it wasn't
0: rings. when you put it out it wasn't a hit it's just a timeless like it wasn't like a big radio hit no. but it's something that everybody just played
1: no it was it was an album cut.
0: album cut yeah yeah because that was the name of the album Family, Family Reunion, Reunion, Reunion yeah. you know? so let's get through 76 right so you Go got ahead. Let's Make a Baby from Billy Paul another great song yeah. then you kind of do a a standard song for Lou Rawls Groovy People which is kind of like his vibe oh yeah it was nice yeah. 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 right yeah. so then he goes back to that right mm-hmm. but then Groovy People was like what it was It was a, a, a big record for him, big record for him, and then you come with a number one record for the OJ's message in our music. Wow, wow. cinematic! That was, this that song, that was a great one, and that's it kind of told the time, the told the the, the signs of those times with the community right. and what was happening, and you know, you just really captured that moment in the yeah. song.
1: Yeah, that's true, but it was uh, it was the vocal because uh, we you talked about MFSB earlier. Mm-hmm. We had. Um, Cause people used to say to us, uh, our, our signature was like, there's a message in the music. That w- that was our thing. So people used to ask me all the time, say, well, what is the message in the music? So MFSB, we, after we did, uh, the soul Train thing, we had a song called love is the message. Right. Yeah. Which was big. Yeah. You know that was mean? huge. Yeah. That was yeah. a big one. And it, especially with the, uh, the rappers and mm-hmm. whatever, they sampled it they a sampled lot. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, so when, when you start to think of a uh, uh, message in the music, all you gotta do is, is look at the lyrics. The lyrics say we got a message in our music as a message in our song. So come along and sing along. We want to talk about all the things that's going down.
0: Yeah. But you also you connected to the disco in that time, like it was. Yeah. You could play that in the club. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a good dance record. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. you figured that out. Like you said, yeah. oh, okay, so we're doing disco. I could just yeah. do the same message, but I'll do it in yeah. a way. But I'm going to be timeless. See, this right. this song is going to last forever. So then, my favorite song you did in '76 is got to be Stairway to Heaven from the OJ's. Again, the really? intro of the song, mm-hmm. um, this it's it's sixty seconds. So it's it lulls you in before you get to the first. Verse of the song, and it's just a timeless cut from these guys, and one of the biggest records they can perform that anywhere, and, oh, yeah. and people will of all ages will react to yeah, it. Love it, yeah.
1: You know, I think uh, the mood that Huff and I created uh, in the studio, we're cutting them tracks, and the musicians, all of us locking together, you know, because uh, we had to, we had to show them how that song felt, not what it said, but how does this song feel? But the thing of it is, is that we were able to lock together with the OJs as a, as the as the voices that could interpret what we were trying to do.
0: And they were b- by far one of the biggest groups in America at that time. I mean, oh they yeah, were, they were. You 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 just dropped them every year. So yeah. another thing that kind of happened at this time was Motown was actually kind of like coming down a little bit and you were just you were ascending with the sound of Philadelphia and also music was changing we talked music about this yeah. and mm-hmm. and the jacksons decide to leave motown yeah and at first they go to atlantic as well they go to try to go to atlantic but atlantic kind of wasn't sure if they wanted to sign them and then right. they they circle over to uh, CBS, CBS yeah. and then they come to Philadelphia to sit down with you, right. and you put an album out on them, and that was a really bold moment for you because kid groups that are like teen groups or whatever. It's like hit or miss. That's right. And then you decide, Oh, I'm gonna work with them and you give them the most soulful album. Yeah. And, and, um, I used to work <laughs> with Jimmy Bishop's uh, son who was a radio personality. And he told me stories about when they were recording this album, how Michael Jackson and Jackson five came to Philadelphia mm-hmm. and they actually lived here in Philadelphia. Yeah. And um, there's so many people that have a lot of memories of them. And you guys took them in the studio and you dropped, um, uh, Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. And then you had another record, Good Times, and l- Let, let, let me, me Show You the way, way, to way to Go. go. Wow, oh, that's man. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the 70s keep going. Okay, so let's go to to, to 77. Mm-hmm. The O.J. is still on top, Darling, Darling, Baby. Number one record. Beautiful song. And then later, Big Pun does the song, yeah. it redoes it, re- it, it becomes another hit, and another hip-hop with, hit years yeah. later. Mm-hmm. Um, you do an all-star song, because again, you were so committed to the community, Let's Clean Up the Ghetto. So you had Lou Rawls, O.J.'s, Everybody. Teddy Pendergrass, Billy Paul, Archie mm-hmm. Bell. And this song actually was a top-five record when you put oh, it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And
1: uh, overseas, in Amsterdam, Let's Clean Up the Ghetto was number one there at least two times. Wow! They had they had all kinds of programs cleaning up. Cause that's what we. Right. It, it was connected to a program. Right. Where we would go into the community and clean up the communities and and all the artists and, and our company. They, everybody participated, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we got a lot of citations from across the. Especially the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yeah, but of course well, the all country. the things
0: that you've done in South Philadelphia, yeah. you know, your own community, you gave yeah. back so much of your wealth to your community to yeah. this day. It's just amazing what you've done. You got
1: to do it. You got to do something. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I mean, why shouldn't our neighborhood be a decent place to yeah. live?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? But that's why your career was blessed yeah. because you you did right by you know your community. Yeah. Like you made the records, but you were really doing things in the community, right? And that and that's I important. To,
1: I want to see. I try to live the records, right. You know, because right. messaging the music that goes for me too. Yeah. That ain't just for somebody
0: else. So let's know? get out of seventy seven. Let's go get ahead. to seventy eight you with just you, you just you, on fire. Go um ahead. <laughs> you got used to be my girl, number one record. Oh, good one, man. And then a good one. Oh.
1: Yeah. That's see we, we, we mixed out things up like with love songs and and uh message songs, you know. And uh like the OJs, we'd have messaging the music and then we would come back with something like She used to be my girl. Right. You know what I mean?
0: And then Teddy leaves Harold Melvin, and you get with Teddy Pantagrass for a solo project, which did you think that as a solo artist he would be who we, who we would become because you dropped Close the Door, which was a game changer. Right, yeah, it was I mean, it was a whole nother thing. And then he was doing women's-only concerts.
1: He came up with all that. Him and his manager, Shep Gordon, they came up with that. And, uh, and I think his manager, Taz Lang, she was with him. She had a lot to do with all of that. Uh, but Teddy was... Uh, he was an unusual artist, you know, and uh, God bless him. Yeah, he. Um, I think Teddy could have been. Uh, we we're trying to, in fact, uh, Sidney Portier. I had met with Sydney Portier to uh, start grooming him to do movies, because Teddy was. He had
0: uh, presence, yeah.
1: Oh, Teddy, yeah, yeah, Teddy, Teddy was like a. Um, he was going to be like a black Elvis Presley. Yeah, he was very know? charismatic. Yeah, people loved him. Just yes. the females loved yeah, him. You yeah. know what I mean? So
0: yeah, those videos and pictures of those women's only. Uh, concerts, yeah, it was unbelievable. That was crazy. Yeah, he was. Great. So so then in '78, um, Gene Carn, "Don't Let It Go to Your Head." Good whew, one. Smash. Um, and then you then you do another song for Jerry Butler. This is 1978. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do "Cooling Out." Like cool, good one. I mean. Man, he has all out, these things, he man. been out for like forty years, and you come, back, come with, back with a joint. Yeah, that's a big one. It's, it's big today. I hear it now yeah. on the radio. You know. So let's get to seventy nine. Mm-hmm. Come and go with me, Teddy Pendergrass. Good come one. on over to my place. Good one, right? Ah, oh, that yeah. was awesome. That was an awesome and, song. Uh, Super ballad.
1: And uh, what was the other one? Turn was off it? the lights. Turn off the lights and back to back. Did close you close the door?
0: Did you see this coming? These two songs. Well,
1: yeah, it co- kind of like well, close the door was first, mm-hmm. and then we uh, we said okay, well, what's after close the door? Right, well, turn off the lights, you know. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was like, I guess it's like a, a movie, or, or and you
0: built the intro of the song, you yeah. build us up for for the energy of the for song, the energy, yeah. But then the OJ's was like, nah, you got you got that Teddy Pengrass. we are gonna come with forever mine. Good that way. was a monster too oh, yeah. so you were like in ballad mode what were you in the, what place were you in the 79 because this was the, the end of disco and yeah. you're dropping these super R&B ballads well you know
1: what we found out is that um, uh, a lot and a lot of the artists you know it's so like the OJs they used to tell me said man we, we don't want to do too many more message songs right 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 you know what I mean it was a love song you know we want to do love songs or whatever I said alright because we tried to balance it out you know but, but they were known. And today, when you go see them, mm-hmm. it's those message songs yeah. that the people are responding to. Although they, Forever Mind is, is, is like a kind of blues, but not blues. Hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it gets an opportunity to, to show both Eddie and Walt's best voices. Oh, yeah. You know the the
0: awesome mean? songs. Yeah. And then you come with the Jones girl. you going to make me love somebody else. Wow.
1: That's a good one. <sighs> well, you know, you look at the, how we got the Jones Girls, the Three Degrees, right. we had problems with them. They Their manager wanted to, wanted to do something different, you know, mm-hmm. so we didn't argue with people, you know, if they wanted to leave, you know, we let them go. And I hated to do that because they were an excellent group, mm-hmm. the Three Degrees. But, um, the Jones Girls, uh, Donna Ross was over at the Shubert Theater one, one night. And, uh, me and Patty LaBelle, we went over there to see her. And so Donna Ross, She said, uh, Mr. Gamble said, I got a group for you. Wow. They're they're my background singers. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, but they didn't really sing, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's how that came about. And so we invited the Jones girls over and the first record we had with them went like top five. Yeah. You're going to make me love somebody. You're going to make me love somebody. That's a great one. Mm.
0: all right so let's go to the 80s because again you keep you keep rolling man Mm -hmm. so teddy pendergrass like you come with the latest greatest inspiration and again the intro of this song well let it go oh i mean it's just timeless and just beautiful like um i i i'm sure at the time i hadn't been to a lot of weddings at that time in my life i was a kid but like i'm sure that was a wedding song for so many people great song let's fast forward into the 80s a little bit because, you know, you you slowed down a little bit. You didn't make as many records in the 80s as you made in the 70s, but... You did for the OJs kind of what you did for, um, the Iceman, what you did for Lou Rawls in 87, cause they were kind of like, they, they had slowed down right. and you come with loving you. And I didn't even know you wrote that. Yeah. Now, I remember I was just getting in the radio when that came out and I remember that me. was a number one record. I mean, we had a countdown on the radio station and that was number one every night for like that summer <laughs> in 87. They love that, that was song. A good song. Oh man. my God, loving you. Um, and then, um, you talked about Patti LaBelle, right. and Patti had a bunch of songs out, but then you come with her, and If Only You Knew and Love, Need, and Want You were wow. really iconic R&B songs Maybe. and really gave Patti that explosion yeah, as an artist. True. That's true. I mean, those two songs, man. That did it for her.
1: Oh. Because she had a lot of other, like, pop records, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, but those, even when you go see Patti today, mm-hmm. those songs are uh, it's just the feeling on it. Yeah. You know, that's what it is.
0: And yeah. then in 87, um, you drop a song with the late Phyllis Hyman, yeah. Living All Alone.
1: God bless her. She, oh. Wasn't she great?
0: I actually met her. It's funny. I met her, in I, I remember meeting her in the parking lot of the radio station I was working at, and I was in awe of her. She was such a, had such a commanding presence. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, she drops Living All Alone, and then... Five years later, yeah. you come out with Living in Confusion. Were those two songs connected or just happened to be the title had living in it?
1: Just, yeah. Not, they weren't connected, but, but just Living in Confusion was like, uh, yeah, she was going through a lot of yeah. things, you know? Well, well
0: I mean? did this lyric right here from um, kind of like Living in Confusion says, I believed in you. I thought you could do me no wrong until I saw one day Mm -hmm. that you were stringing me along. Mm -hmm. Played me for a fool. You Mm -hmm. used me once too much. I'm in so much pain, and here I am again. And she says, trust is a hard thing to come by these days. You build me up. Let to me let me, me down, down right? got me spinning around. Yeah, spinning around. <laughs> you, can't <It> gamble. <laughs> you are. Let me tell you something. You are a treasure. And I, I wanna thank you for yeah. your time today for yeah. and thank you for um going through uh all of your music and thank you for all the things that you do in the community and um you know, you're on the Mount Rushmore of songwriters, not just for R and B, but just songwriters. Yeah. You you and um and Leon yeah. and, and the music. And Tom, Bell, yeah, too, yeah, and Tom you know, Bell, the music yeah. you guys created I just don't think you guys get enough props for what you've done. Like people yeah. always talk about Barry Gordy and Motown and they should because he yeah, was iconic. Did yeah, they did. Great. But you what you did and the time frame that you yeah. did it on and how um years later so many people have has sampled your music or mm-hmm. remade your music or or can tell the story of their lives through all the songs right there. Any anybody in America, not just black America, yeah. can go through one of these songs and say, Oh, I have a connection to that that song.
1: That's true. But you know what? I really appreciate being here because you took me through an exercise. You know what I mean? Uh, let me know my brain's still working. Yeah. You know, and, um, bottom line of it is, is that it was a, a blessing to be able to write songs and to, uh, and to do something that I really love doing mm-hmm. was writing music and being around the music. But it's even more of a, of a blessing is when we can do Something for our community.
0: Well, there's nothing like the Philadelphia sound, and you are the master of that. So thank you for uh, stopping by the backstory yeah. podcast. And what we're going to do now at the end, I'm going to play for you guys the moment I surprise Kanye West by introducing him to Kenny Gamble. This was in 2004. 2004. Kanye didn't see it coming. And the video surfaced a couple years ago. Somebody filmed it, and it's on YouTube, so you can look for it on YouTube, oh, yeah. the okay. video of this moment. But uh, one of the greatest producers of our time, uh, Kanye West, met uh, one of the greatest producers of all time. So just share this oh, moment yeah. on the I Backstory Podcast. All right, so look, we in Philadelphia, and I said, remember I said I had a surprise for you? Yeah, you were like, to me, you were like one of the most impressive up-and-coming producers. So I said, you were in Philadelphia. I had to bring Mr. Kenny Gamble from the Sound of Philadelphia here to meet you, man. Oh, wow, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Kenny Gamble.
1: What's happening? Sound good, man.
0: Yeah, it's a good looking. Thanks. So go ahead, man. Ask him a question, man. It's Kenny Gamble, man. Man, can I get a discount on some of them samples? Uh, <laughs> uh? Can I get just a little public? Because like, I think you got me said 45% on that just can't be life, uh, that hell, Melvin. Can't be life. Did you use that one? Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, what, made, what made you um, uh, with Alicia Keys? You know, that's my, my favorite record there. Uh, oh, for real? You don't know my name. Yeah, yeah it's a good one. It reminds me of um, a song we did a long time ago with the intruders and the whispers called I Want to Know Your Name. It reminds me of that. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it, but it reminds me of it. Just it, it
0: ain't close enough to go to court
1: on no, it. No, not to go to court. I, no, no, no. No, it just has the same kind of format, you know, same kind of feel. You remember that song I Want to Know Your Name? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I, from listening to so many samples, that's how I came up with the idea for her to do the talking part at the end. Mm-hmm. I would sit and try to Find an open part through the talking, right. so I listened to it all the way, and I found out, you know, they would get real exact with their words. Like, mm-hmm. baby, I was, I had to stop at the phone booth, and I and, and then I went over uh, Leroy House, and it, it, it get whereas nowadays they be like just shouting out their
1: managers at the end right. of the record. Who came up with the part about, hey, can you hear me now? <laughs> Who came up with that with the phone? Um,
0: I don't want to say on the radio, but I I wrote. A good. I had a high influence on a good percentage of the talking part. That's great. Is that a good political way to say that on the radio? <laughs> Definitely. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. Get more of the Backstory on our Patreon page with exclusive interviews, outtakes, and the Lost Controversial Backstory Podcast. You can only get here support on the backstory bonus level